Hi, I'm Natalie Nowak, and you're listening to On My Way to a BFA. This podcast chronicles my experiences as I go through the process of getting my BFA in musical theater at the Hart School. I just started my sophomore year, which means that this episode is the season two premiere. I can't believe that I'm already a sophomore and that it's already been a whole year since I've started working on this podcast. Since this is the season two premiere, I was thinking about how I could make this episode extra special, and I knew exactly who I wanted to interview. So I reached out to Andrew Bradis, who was my first guest ever on this podcast, and he connected me with Christine Dwyer, who is also a graduate of the Hart School. After college, Christine toured the country as Maureen and Rent, and then she went on to play Elphaba in the national tour and Broadway production of Wicked. She's now on tour in Finding Neverland, playing the lead role of Sylvia. I interviewed her last week, and it was so cool to chat with her. In the interview, we talked about college, vocal health, touring, acting techniques, and of course, I had to pick her brain about all things Elphaba. I hope you enjoy. So summer is almost over, and a lot of high school seniors are starting to prepare for their college auditions right now. So when you were going through this process, did you audition for a lot of schools, and why did you end up choosing the Hart School? Um, Yeah, well, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to go to school for really until the end of my junior year when I finally started talking about it with my parents. And, um, you know, I was obviously... heavily involved in theater in my school, but I I went to a public high school. I didn't go to a performing arts high school or anything like that. Um, So once I kind of realized that this is what I wanted to do, I I started researching schools with my parents and we got it down to like a list of, I don't know, like 15. And we, we tried to set up auditions at all of those schools. I ended up, I ended up auditioning, I'm pretty sure at like 13 schools. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. You know, now in hindsight, there are probably schools that I wouldn't have spent so much money traveling to and stuff. I probably would have narrowed down my choices because that was really that was a lot um, my senior year. But, you know, I went to I went to a bunch of different campuses. I also um, I went to New York City and did like the AMDA audition. And I think there was another there were a couple of schools at this like kind of almost like big audition convention. And you went to Mm -hmm. You went to like one room to audition for this school and another room to audition for that school and whatnot. But um, what really made me want to choose the Hart School, um, you know, I got there and all the students were so nice. And well, we we had a block back box theater that we use there called Berkman. And now that you have these really nice, you know, performing arts facilities, yeah. uh, it's it's way better for you guys. Um, but. But yeah, I, I walked in there and and I'll never forget this guy named John Bangle who graduated from the AT program a year before me, I believe. He invited me in and, you know, kind of told me not to be nervous and was really, really kind. And I walked on stage and I remember very specifically Mark Planner and Diana. Oh, yeah. And Muller Marino being there. And they were both so kind and gave me great uh, advice and helped me work on things. And it, it felt it felt much more like like an actual audition in New York, honestly, now that I know what that's like, because people people want to work with you. They want to see what you can do. They want to give you notes and and they want you to, you know, kind of work with them. And I think that what I really loved about the Hart School was that I got that sense of of, oh, I'm, I'm going to learn from these people. And they're not just there to 
judge exactly what I'm doing my senior year of high school right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're looking for potential. They're looking for, you know, things that we can work on. And, and not all other schools are like that. Sometimes you audition at a school and, you know, you've, you've flown however many miles and taken off time from your high school career and you're tired and you're thinking about finals and all these things and you audition at a school and you have about, you know, two minutes and they don't say anything to you and then you walk out of the room, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there will be some auditions in New York that are like that when they have to, you know, see a lot of people in one day. But um, but I, I think that for me, that just, that wasn't a beneficial feeling for me. I wanted, I wanted people to work with me. I wanted, I wanted people to be, you know, willing to help. And I feel like the heart school was like that. The students were like that. And I felt that way the second that I got there to audition, that it was going to be a a welcoming family oriented environment that, um, that I think it really has held up over the years to be. I mean, I'm, I know so many heart kids now that were, were far younger than me that are still in school. And and when they move to the city, you know, I, I do seek them out and I do try to help them out because I think that's important. And I think it's important to have that community. And I felt that at that school. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, because when I went to visit the school, it was after I was accepted. But before I decided that that's where I wanted to go, I walked in and like a group of students just ran up to me and they were like, you must be new. Like, what can we can we show you where to go? Can we help you with anything? They were so welcoming from the beginning and that was like I was so happy because like you said at some other schools you kind of walk in and there's not like that community right from the get-go so it's definitely nice that Hart has you know maintained that reputation yeah and I and I think you know now having worked in New York and things like like professional things like that that's how it is here I mean it is a community. The Broadway community is an actual thing and people do actually want to help and people are nice, you know, <laughs> like yeah. people, I mean, I can't, I can't count how many times one of my friends has said, oh man, I can't do this gig or I can't do this concert, but here's the name of my friend. And then, you know, I, I get to meet new people and make some money and I do the same thing for other people. And it, it becomes this really great network of, of uh, friends who are trying to help each other out. And I think that that as hard as this business is, it's nice to be reminded that that's really what the community is all about. Well, I just started my sophomore year just yesterday, so still getting (laughs) used to everything. But I'd like you to take me back to your sophomore year and tell me about the 19-year-old Christine. Oh, okay. Um, Well, my freshman year was, was a little rough for me. I was sort of, I was really, really homesick a lot. I went home, I went home a lot over the weekends and I was kind of I was struggling to figure out if if I had it in me to do this really um, and I had Kristen Huffman as a voice teacher and she was just the right amount of warm to me as she was hard on me too and after my freshman year you know she even took me aside and was like look I think you're really talented I think that you could do this but you need to figure out if this is really what you want to do because I'm not convinced that you're that you're certain this is the career for you and that's okay. But you know, you need to, it's a career that you need to commit to fully. And, um, and I'm not sure you're there yet. And that really got, got me, you know, in, in my head about what I really wanted to do. And it really kind of gave me that drive to go into my sophomore year and, and really start getting to work because having that, that idea that, 
maybe this thing that I've done my whole life is not is not the right career path for me was the wake up call I needed to kind of get there. And my sophomore year, I, I walked in and I um, I walked into my first voice lesson and she was like, I'm glad to see you back because <laughs> she was like, I wasn't sure if you were going to come back. And I was like, I wasn't sure either. But I was like, I'm ready to work. I'm glad to be back. I want to do this. You know, and I handed her Wizard and I because I had just heard it. it the Broadway show had just come out um, right when I started college. And it was my sophomore year that I was like, I want to learn how to sing this. And by the end of my sophomore year, I sang it for my juries. And it was, you know, it was a song that was kind of out of my range for a long time. And and we really worked hard. And I started actually taking advantage of the practice rooms that we have and, and you know, the, the library of music that you're able to get you know, for free when you're going to mm-hmm. school for musical theater, as opposed to, you know, in New York city, when you have to pay for everything and everything's more expensive here. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I got to work and I, I got my button gear and, um, and sophomore year was a, just a huge turning point for me. I think kind of coming into my own and trying, you know, starting to learn what it's like to, to be an adult and make adult decisions and, and take things seriously because you have to in this career if if you're not passionate about it there's no way that you're ever going to make it because it is so it it is difficult and there are so few parts for how many people are in New York City and want to do this but if you're passionate about it you'll make those opportunities happen for yourself and especially with things like YouTube and you know there's so many concert venues and things like that in New York City that you can you can help raise money and, and produce a concert for you and your friends so you can just get out there and perform. And there's so many different opportunities that you have now to, to be able to do this um, that I think are so important. And I really kind of started to learn that my sophomore year. And I, you know, I got a great group of friends because I actually started to stay on campus instead of, you know, going home all the time. Yeah. And, um, and I found this this group that made me feel confident and great about the work that I was doing. And I think, yeah, for me, like 19 year old Christine was a huge turning point. Just just knowing really for real that this is what I was going to throw my passion into. And and I really owe all of that to the teachers at the Hart School who kind of let me be a little bit lost my freshman year and still didn't tell me, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't come back. It was more just like you should think about this. Is, is this really what you want to do? And that was all the motivation I needed to to get out of my own way and say yes, it is. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. And the only reason that I'm that I'm questioning it is because I'm scared. Yeah. So, and fear so- plays a huge role in like I think especially in college because you know you're going in front of this group of amazingly talented people who are in your class and you know it can be intimidating. So I think that I mean I was definitely super scared and still am for a lot of things but it's like I think it's what you do with that fear you know you can either have someone tell you hey maybe you shouldn't be doing this and then like you said that's the motivation you need to keep doing that and prove them wrong and say no I actually really want to do this so yeah yeah and and you know school school is where you're supposed to fall on your face and make mistakes and maybe you know do something do something in class that you're not particularly happy with and because honestly, those things will happen in auditions. I mean, I still go on auditions sometimes that I walk out and I'm like, that was terrible. <laughs> but but because I've allowed myself to fail and pick myself back up again, you know, during school and just during the last 10 years of, of being in this business, you you learn how to overcome those times 
quicker and you learn how to get up faster and move forward faster and, you know, look towards the next opportunity. And so even though school is really scary and especially for someone like me who I only did the school plays. I didn't, I didn't go to performing arts school. I didn't do a bunch of, you know, extra programs and stuff. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So when I came into school, all of these people in my class, you know, who had gone to these programs and, and knew all of these composers and knew everything that was going on in New York City, I was really, really kind of behind, I felt like. Um, and that, that freaked me out a lot my freshman year. Um, and it wasn't until my sophomore year that I was like, well, yeah, maybe they know all of these things from being in high school but and being in a performing arts school or whatever, but it's not something that I can't learn about. Exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah. And I can pick up a book and I can learn that stuff. I can you know, buy those, uh, those DVDs, those PBS DVDs and watch all of the old school, like Broadway performances and how shows came to be, um, which I would recommend. I I don't know if they still use them in empty history or not, but they use these, this, uh, DVD collection. It was a PBS thing and, um, it's called like BUA something or I don't know. I'll I'll have to look it up and, and send it to you, but yeah, please do. Yeah, it's a great selection of DVDs that now I'm sure since DVDs are like obsolete, you could probably <laughs> <laughs> you could probably like buy it on iTunes or something. But, you know, it was it was such a huge turning point for me to to kind of realize that maybe I feel a little bit behind, but I I can go from here and learn everything that I can and use those facilities and use my teachers and and talk to them about what they think is right for me and, you know, all that stuff. And, and I think just having all of the, those things at your fingertips while you're in college, you know, is so, so important to utilize. Um, and I definitely, I mean, even now I wish I had done more of it. I wish I had photocopied every piece of music that I liked so that I didn't have to pay for it here. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And I, I feel like a lot of people say really use those resources now, because like you said, when you get to the city, it's not just all going to be there for you. So I think taking advantage of it, I'm definitely trying to remember that. Yeah. So I also wanted to talk about maintaining a social life in a BFA program because a lot of people ask about that. What did you do when you were in college? Did you focus on your classes mostly or did you have a social life? What? How did that work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard. You know, the, the MT program specifically and the AT program, I mean, you're just you're in class all the time. And when you're not in class, yeah, yeah. it's rehearsal all the time. So, you know, like I said, my freshman year, I didn't have much of a social life, which was kind of on me. But um, but I, I definitely figured out, you know, ways to, to hang out and do stuff and not com- completely only hyper-focus on musical theater. Because I also think that it's important to, you know, our, our job as actors are to tell stories about things that we haven't necessarily experienced and make the audience feel that we have experienced them. And I think that the only way to really do that is, you know, you get a show and you do your research if it's in a different time period or whatever. But I think it's really important to step outside of the musical theater bubble and try to find friends on campus that that aren't necessarily in your classes all the time. And for me, a lot of that was... um, was was really trying to make friends with the the people that I met in other classes, um, like in your you know math classes and mm-hmm. science classes and and stuff like that that um, that are not only just filled with you know MTs and ATs, and that was really important to me. I got involved also. I mean, 
with the film department and tried to get into some of the student movies. Oh, and that, cool. You know, and that's something that I think is really, really important. And I filmed, I th- think I filmed like three student films while I was there. Wow. Uh, kind of putting yourself out there in that way, because that way it's still, you know, you're still learning the things that you want to learn as an actor, but you're also stepping outside of the the bubble that, you know, it's going to be a bubble because you're in class together 24-7 in rehearsals. It just is what it is. But to step outside and kind of learn from other people uh, about about their passions and things, I think, is really important, too. Um, and I don't, you know, I still I still went out. I still went to parties and stuff and like did did all the things that I'm sure everyone still does now. But you know, if I had a big project in acting class, or if there was something that I really needed to work on for a voice lesson, I made sure that I took an hour or two in a practice room and and did that because you have to do that too in New York. I mean, the social aspect of being an actor is important. Networking is important. Going out and meeting people, it, it it's a huge part of our business. Um, because most of the time, everyone's talented. And most of the time, you get these little opportunities like like readings of new musicals and concerts and uh, from different new composers and stuff. You get those opportunities based on meeting them out in public and social life and meeting their friends who end up liking you and recommending you. You know, so the social aspect is important. Musical theater people and theater people in general, I mean, you you work hard and you play hard and it's part of it. And that doesn't mean that you have to like go out and party and get drunk. That's not what I'm saying. But, but you know, be be social, experience life because that that's what your job is on stage is to portray life. And if you just sit in your dorm room all day and study musical theater, that's not, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like the things that you learn from other people can totally inform your art, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, but I think it's important because it, it can be so easy to stay in that bubble and to be like, well, I take classes with all these people, so I'm going to hang out with them all the time. But really, it's good to, you know, branch out a little bit. It is. It's really good to branch out. And I definitely think that um, that the student film thing, I can't remember exactly how I got involved in it. I want to say, I actually think it was one of the film students that ended up seeing a show that I was in that asked that Facebook messaged me or something mm-hmm. and, and asked if I wanted to audition for his film. But that's, um, you know, that's something that I'm sure admissions could help, could help you with about, um, trying to figure out, you know, who's, who's in charge of that department now and kind of maybe trying to get something going just generally at the school where the actor training students and the musical theater students have a relationship with the film students so that you can all help each other. Yeah, you know? that would be great. Yeah. Um, I think that that just, you know, figuring out ways to to do stuff like that, you know, you're going to branch out, you're going to meet people, and then you're also going to be working on your craft. Um, Going to making sure that, you know, you go to all of the performances that you can in in school at at the heart school, you know, the dance, the dance performances, the, the opera performances, I think all of that's really important, because those people will end up being choreographers or music directors, or they'll end up going into musical theater, you know, Mm -hmm you'll all kind of end up knowing each other and working together. And, and I, the bigger, the bigger your community can be that you can create on school, the more prepared you'll be when you go to New York, because you'll have, you'll have lots of people to, to draw from and, and, you know, help each other out. Oh, definitely. And so many people moved to New York City, you know, yeah. so, so many people on that campus ended up being poets, and they had poetry jams in mm-hmm. New York City. 
that I went to later or um, or were people that didn't necessarily want to do this for a living, but come to New York and are part of an improv troupe and, and improv troops here are huge and really important to, you know, kind of get, put yourself out there and and you can also make money doing that stuff. There's so many things that you can do. And I think really like branching out and, and learning about other people on the campus, even though you are so isolated in certain ways is really important. I also figured out that documentary. Oh, you <laughs> <It's>, did? <laughs> yeah. It's called Broadway, the American Musical. And Julie Andrews hosts it. And it's a six-hour PBS documentary series entitled Broadway, the American Musical. You guys should watch it. I yeah, don't know if people out there, it. go home and watch it. Yeah, I, th- I think they probably will still use some of the stuff in MT history. But, um, but it's a really great, great documentary about stuff. If you're like me and you didn't really know anything, that's good. <laughs> You're like, what is this? I'm discovering it. Yeah. Um, So now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Finding Neverland because I saw the tour when it was in Chicago over my winter break. Luckily, the timing worked out and I thought it was fantastic. And actually today in our voice and speech class, we were talking about like what we did over the summer. And one, one girl in my class was like, oh, I saw... Finding Neverland when it was in, you know, my hometown and our voice and speech teacher, Johanna Morrison was like, oh, I saw Christine in it. And she was just (laughs) lovely. And she was like, the first thing she asked me when she came out the stage door was, was my British accent okay? (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, I was like, I was actually more nervous for her seeing that show than than anybody. Oh, I would be too, because she's she's very specific. So I would be like, okay, is everything the phonetics, you know, all that? (laughs) I was like, she's gonna know that that I'm that I'm making this up as I go. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> but she she was pleased. She was happy with it, so it's good. That's good. Um, she said I could, she could understand everything I was saying, and that uh, that I, I I sounded like I was from the area. So that's well, good. that's good. That's perfect. Then I wanted to talk about some of the emotional moments in the show and kind of connect it to what we learn in acting class because there are a lot of I'm not gonna spoil anything, but. There are a lot of emotional moments in that show. So when you go to do those scenes, is it just like in your body now that you've done it so much? Or do you use specific techniques that you learned in college, like sense memory or projection or anything like that? Sure. Um, Doing an eight show a week job, saying the same things and doing the same scenes for a year now, you're not you're not going to be emotionally available every performance every day. You're just not. It's it's nearly impossible. Um, there are some days where I don't even need to think about it, and I can just be totally present in exactly the scene that's going on, and I can completely get there. And then there are other times where I, you know, I'm I didn't sleep enough the night before, or I just flew in from being in New York, you know, visiting my fiance, and and I'm exhausted, or whatever whatever the case may be i'm i'm not feeling well and so i definitely use some sense memory stuff for sure in some of those scenes you know there's not a ton of time to to really get yourself there but yes. uh, but when you kind of practice that sort of a thing in college and and in other other musicals and other plays and things i think that that's a really important tool and that that really helped me also what I've realized with this show, you know, I would get mad at myself when I couldn't, when I couldn't cry. Mm-hmm. Like there got, to, there got a point to a point in, in this production where, you know, I was able to cry every day because the scenes where I, where I have to emotionally get there are written well. And I was, I was able to get there. And then, you know, midway through the contract, you start getting bored. I mean, honestly, like it, yeah. and, it, and it, it, it becomes a routine and it's hard to get there. And I would get mad at myself when I couldn't, when I was saying these lines and I, I couldn't 
cry. And then I realized out of all of the shows that I've seen, I don't necessarily remember if it was a person actually crying on stage that made me cry or if it was my own personal reaction to the words and what I was going through in my life. And I think that that what we forget as actors sometimes is that it's not it's not all about you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I maybe I can't get there today. Maybe maybe there aren't actual tears falling down my face, but if I just listen to the words that I'm saying and try to be present in the scene, the audience is going to feel what they're supposed to feel regardless of whether or not I can actually get tears to come out of my eyes or or whether or not it's it's exactly as connected as I felt the day before. Because not mm-hmm. every performance is going to be the same and every audience gives you a different kind of thing. And and a lot of the time it's like if they're sitting super far away in a certain theater and the orchestra pit is really big, you can't really hear them very well. You can't hear them laugh. You can't hear their emotions. And so you have to be present in the scene with your scene partner and figure out how to tell the story regardless of how you're feeling that day. And then there are other moments where, you know, I didn't think I was going to be able to get there that day and the audience is so close that I heard someone actually start crying in the audience and mm-hmm. then instantly I can get myself there. So it's, it's you know, it's different every day. And I think that one of the main tools that I really loved in school was uh, that the Meisner technique. Yeah, I love Meisner. I love that. And mm-hmm. I think that that really spoke to me um, and has helped me do these eight shows a week. Because the same lines that you're saying every day are not going to mean the same thing as the first time you ever said them. You know, the first time that I, that I staged that glitter death scene and did did all of that, I instantly could get to that place because it is so beautifully done and it's so, so emotional. But, you know, when you're doing it every day, it's hard sometimes. And, and I think that technique and the sense memory stuff in moments like that really helped me kind of do this eight show a week as consistently as you can. And also trust the fact that the audience is there with you, regardless of whether or not you feel like it's it's the best performance you've ever given. You know, say say the lines, look at your partner, be be as present as as you possibly can, and they'll they'll feel it. They'll they'll cry if they if they want to cry. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm always interested to hear like, you know, the techniques that people use and I think acting when it comes down to it, it's like you're listening and then you're reacting. And then and if that is truthful and you have the truthful impulse to do that, then like you said, the audience is totally gonna be there with you. Yeah, they're there. And uh, because that that's, you know, that's why they came to the theater that day. Mm-hmm. So you came to the theater because it's your job. But <laughs> they came to hear, the, you know, to hear things and feel things. And, and yeah, I think I think as present as you can possibly be in those moments where you're not feeling great, specifically, I mean, for a singer doing a hard song, like all that matters, like, I don't always feel great about that song. It's really, really high. It Mm -hmm. sits Mm -hmm. right on my break, the entire end of the song. It's, (laughs) it is like a, a, every, every day, I wonder what's gonna come out of my mouth. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So it's just like, it's one of, it's one of those things um, that I just really struggled with, with this particular role. And I got to a point where okay, vocally today, I'm nervous that something weird's going to happen, or I'm nervous that I'm going to sound raspy, or what if I crack on that last note or whatever. And I got myself to a point where I was like, just tell the story. That's all you can do. All you can do is tell the story. And if you crack, whatever. Yeah, you crack. you're still telling the story, even if you, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're telling the story, you're saying, you're saying the words, and try to get out of your own head and think about the words that you're actually saying. And most of the time when you get out of your own head, and you stop thinking so much about this 
apparatus that we call vocal cords and like how, how they're going to, to fail you that day. Once you stop mm-hmm. thinking about that, it come it comes out because you're not hyper focusing on something that ultimately it is what it is. It's going to come out the way that it's going to come out. There are going to be some days that are better than others. There are going to be some days that you feel terrible about it. But at the end of the day, we're all perfectionists. And, you know, if you crack on one note of a song, that's one note out of how many notes do you sing in the show? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's difficult when you're in it and when you're, when you're feeling that pressure, but you also forget that the audience forgives. The audience doesn't even notice most of the time, all, mm-hmm. all of the things that we notice and, and nobody in the audience can do what you can do. Yeah. I love that. And my voice teacher, so I have Larry Rakin for my voice teacher. Yeah, so and great. he always says, if you crack on a note or you can't sing it or something happens, he said the only person or the only group of people in the audience who is going to notice are the people who wanted that job but didn't get it. (laughs) He's like, everyone else is just like, oh my goodness, this person on stage is amazing and I love this performance. So, you know, they don't... No, they really don't. And even like the... I got super crazy in the beginning of this tour because I was so nervous about this song and I would record the song backstage so I could listen to it and judge myself at intermission for like the first month I was doing this job. <laughs> and do you think that that was helpful? No, it was not helpful at <laughs> because A, I'm hearing a completely unmixed like audio recording of a, a crappy speaker in some theater <laughs> in the United States and I'm re-listening to it and picking apart every single thing that I was like, oh, that was a little sharp. Oh, that was a little flat. Oh, that, mm, that could have been stronger. Oh, I don't like the way that my vibrato sounded. And meanwhile, I, A, I have no idea what it sounds like out there completely mixed. And, you know, all the sound guys are great, so they're going to make you sound great. There's a difference between having an orchestra and a costume and lights and all this stuff while you're singing. And, and B, it's a three-minute song. Nobody's going back and listening to it 1,600 times like I was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're always our worst critic. It's yeah, true. It's over in three minutes, and they, they're they clapping, and then they move on because the next scene has already started happening. And so I got myself to a point where I was like, what What am I doing? I'm psyching myself out for, you know, and I still have a year left of this contract. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this to myself every day. I just, I can't. I'll go crazy, and I'll, I'll start being so anxious about every single time that I step on the stage, which is not how you want to feel. And that's not beneficial to the, to the storytelling and it's not helpful to the audience. So I stopped doing that. And then once I stopped listening to every single thing that I thought I messed up, I kind of also started forgetting that the song even happened in the show. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's good. Once it, you kind of forgot and forgave yourself, it was, yeah, you know, I yeah. I, I spent that intermission doing other stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Going back and listening to the recording of myself which is crazy (laughs) (laughs) no I mean I do stuff like that too like the other day I was like okay my first master class of the year is on Friday so like I'm gonna record what I'm Mm. gonna sing and I was listening back and I was like okay no I shouldn't sing that song and I was judging myself so much because it's so easy to like when you're just listening to your own voice to pick out every little thing that you wish you could change oh absolutely yeah so now I want to talk about after the show is over you go out the stage door and a bunch of people are waiting there to meet you. So when you were younger, did you stage door at all? I did, yeah. I was um I, I loved stage door when I was younger, specifically for rent. That was like I was, you know, one of those rent heads who mm-hmm. I didn't go to every performance all the time, but when I did go there, I, I knew who everyone was, I knew who was playing who, 
I, I had read their bios and I staged door it and, you know, and, and did that whole thing. I staged door it at Wicked on Broadway when I saw it for the first time with Adina Menzel. You know, I, I did a lot of the stage door stuff. I staged door it at the North Shore Music Theater, which is where I saw my first show ever because I grew up in Massachusetts. Okay, cool. And, yeah. And whenever I went there with my mom, I, I always liked to stage door. So but you I know was- what it's like for those kids that are meeting you. For sure. Yeah. I know some people want to ask a lot of questions and other people want to stage door but are too afraid to even walk up to you and ask you for your autograph, you know? Yeah. And I think it's it's important to remember that we were all that kid. And even though sometimes you get really tired at the end of a show and, and sometimes you don't want to do it. I mean, I, I will say like in on Wicked, there were some days where, you know, my voice was so tired by the end of it that... I would I would write something online and say I'm sorry I'm not stage dooring tonight and I would go home. Yeah. And there are there are those moments, you know, when you're doing a big show like that and you're doing eight shows a week that you do need to take care of yourself first because your first priority is going to work the next day and doing a good job. And there are sometimes like that for sure. But whenever possible I try to stage door after every performance because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know, you know, kind of we have this really special opportunity doing what we do to change people's lives in a matter of hours without knowing them at all. You know, there's there's something so special about being in a theater with a live performance. It's not I've been moved by movies and TV shows and things like that, but when you're when you're in a space with just that group of people in just those moments, you're all experiencing the same thing yeah, once. And that's so special. You know, like yeah. one time specifically and you don't know whose first show it is, you don't know whose last show it is, you don't know what anybody is going through in that audience that, you know, what you're doing on stage is speaking to them in a way that they really needed. And I think that that's so important to remember. And why I love doing the stage door because I've met so many amazing people, you know, actually just uh, God, where was it? I met her in Baltimore. There's this girl, Kristen, who came to our our after party and came to the stage door and she's in a wheelchair completely paralyzed from the waist down she one day started feeling like a a sensation in her legs that she couldn't understand she went to the hospital and then three days later because of the way she was lying down in her hospital bed her spot her the nerves in her spine kind of gave out and she lost and she became paralyzed it was like freak crazy accident. She wants to be an actress. So she was at first paralyzed from the neck down. She was so determined to not to, you know, get feeling back that she went to therapy. She did all of this, this like crazy experimental stuff and started to be able to move her hands again. And now she can move her arms and she can move her toes and she can't walk yet. But she was like, just telling me the, this, this incredible story. And she was so positive and wonderful and lighthearted about everything and she's like you know they told me that I would never move again and I'm moving my toes I moved my toes yesterday and she was like I moved my toes after seeing Finding Neverland oh my gosh that's amazing it's amazing and you meet people like that and you're like man and you know she's I think she just turned 21 I mean wow. she, she's this young kid who who wants to move to New York and be an actress and feels confident that she's gonna make it through all of this stuff that she's been through and I like there, there's nothing, there's nothing that can top meeting people at the stage door like that, and meeting people after shows whose whose lives are are so much more difficult than yours. Yeah. Even sometimes you feel like, oh man, I'm so tired, I'm traveling all the time, and I can't see my family, and and you know all this stuff, and then you meet someone like that, and it gives you this like just this 
really special, incredible feeling about how this art form reaches people and changes people and, um, and inspires people. And I think that it's so important to go out there and meet those people and learn that stuff and remember, be reminded about how special and lucky we all are to, to be doing this. Yeah, I love that so much. And thank you for sharing that story. That's awesome. Yeah. And she will totally be an actress. Like if she has that much passion for it and that much drive, she can do anything. I totally agree. And I, you know, I told her, I was like, once you move to New York, I gave her my phone number. I was like, just let me know what you need. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I'll try to introduce you to composers and I'll try to do whatever I can. Because when you have that passion, you, you will, you will be able to do it. And I love, I love that. I love that story. And, um, and I love meeting people like that. Since you are on tour now, and I'm a huge nerd about vocal health. So like, I love finding out what everyone does for, you know, their voice. So what do you do because you're traveling? And I don't know if you deal with allergies or, you know, adjusting to new cities. What types of things do you do? Yeah, I actually I have really bad allergies. So especially with this tour on Wicked, we stayed in places a little bit longer. So I was able to adjust. But, you know, we have a lot of one weekers on this tour and you get there and your your body instantly is thrown with all of these allergens and things that you didn't have in the city before. I like this stuff called Manuka honey, which is like, I've been such a huge fan of this stuff for years. It's not cheap, but you don't need that much of it. And when I'm feeling not great or or headachey or stuffy or whatever, I take a little teaspoonful of it and I instantly feel better. Or I'll IT. I don't know exactly why it works, but it just does. And you know, it's it's like $35 for a jar. It's not cheap, but it's super beneficial, I think. And for vocal health and stuff, you know, sleep is really important. I think I definitely notice when I don't get enough sleep, but I never really get enough sleep on the road. So <laughs> I gargle with salt water every morning for two minutes just to kind of get things moving around, eating healthy and exercising. Like it sounds so cliche, but it really... <laughs> oh, it's true. No, it makes such a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Whether or not like, you know, you don't have to be one of those crazy people that like runs 10 miles before they do a show. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> But like just stretching, doing something that kind of gets your heart rate up for a little bit, whether it's like squats and push-ups or some, you know, just some sort of routine every day to kind of keep yourself active is really important because it keeps the blood flowing. And if you're feeling sick or if your allergies are getting the best of you, the best thing you can do is get your heart pumping. So that's really important. I check my voice with like siren warm-ups, which mm-hmm. I don't know you guys do that where you kind of start at the bottom of your range and then you just like hum like a siren all the way up to the top yeah and for any like little that's I always know exactly where I'm at when I do that because if there's any little like hiccups in that siren if it's not completely smooth then I know I need to focus on that part of my voice and sometimes that means I can't do the show and most of the time it just means I need to spend a little extra time on that part in that part of my warm-up so, you know, I, I do that stuff. I, let's see, what else do I do? Green juices are really, are one of my favorite things. They're like a natural anti-inflammatory. So instead of, you know, taking a thing like ibuprofen, which can thin out your blood and be bad for your vocal cords, doing things like natural anti-inflammatories, like, like green juices and like the manuka honey yeah. and water stuff. I think is just super helpful for me. There are a lot of like trial and error things that I I figured out while on the road. Can I can I go out and have like a couple glasses of wine and sing this the next day? No, I can't. Okay, then I'm not going to do that anymore. You know? Like, yeah, yeah. Just see like what works things, for you. Yeah, there are things, and every every voice is different. And I think you need to kind of figure that stuff out for yourself. If, if you're someone who has a super super sensitive voice, then 
you know, if you're on a contract like this, you can't go out as much as everybody else, or you can't go out and until, you know, two in the morning, you have to kind of figure it out for what works for you specifically. And I know that there are certain things that like, I can't, I can't eat before bed, because Mm -hmm. I know that the next day I'm going to be struggling. So I just, you know, I don't do those things anymore. Um, And your body changes so much, especially like once I hit 30, my all of that stuff changed. And I wasn't able to do the same things that I was able to do when I was 24. And so, you know, it's a it's a constant battle. But I think um, a healthy exercise regimen, a healthy diet, drinking as much water as you can, especially when you're on planes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's so drying. And I and I struggle with that so much. And just making sure that you're drinking a ton of water before and after you get on a plane is super super important and sleep and you know resting your body and knowing when you just need to sit in your hotel room and veg out and watch movies until the show yeah <laughs> totally you know yeah yeah so it's I, I i think the local honey too is another thing if you get local honey in different cities that you're in and stuff it'll help your body become more immune to those allergens that you haven't experienced before mm-hmm. so yeah things like that i do all that stuff yeah no i love hearing about that so now i wanted to talk about your coaching business that you do with your fiance so can you tell us a little bit about that yeah um you know we started it last year because we had a couple of people inquire us about it we were like man why don't we do this? Like we both have done master classes before and we love to teach and we love to do this stuff. And so we started with like three students and now we have 20 regular students. And it's a great thing to supplement our our income while, you know, while we're working and while we're not working. Um, it's also just something that I really enjoy doing. I actually feel like I audition better now because mm-hmm. I coach people. Because when I, it's so easy for you to pick apart some, not pick apart in a bad way, but like pick apart somebody else's ticks and things like that that they have while they're performing and kind of getting them out of those bad habits. And then as I'm watching other people, I realize I'm like, oh yeah, I do that too. Or, oh, why don't I ever remember to like have a moment before a song where I get myself into where I need to be? I struggle so much with being nervous at auditions and psyching myself out and everything. And I think coaching has been such a gift to me really too. And it's also just so fun to to get people from all different stages of this career. There are some people, some students that we have that, you know, are working actors that are doing it right now. There are other kids that are in high school that maybe want to pursue it in college. There are younger kids who love to sing and they, you know, love Dear Evan Hansen. They want to sing it all the time. So. Yeah. we go to that and we have some adults that it's not necessarily something that they want to do but they are passionate about theater and it's some it's a hobby that they want to express themselves doing and I think that it's so rewarding to coach people on their emotions and their their specific kind of what that what they actually want to do with this stuff whether it's to be a professional or if it's just for fun yeah so it's called DeAngelis and Dwyer coaching as of now we're working on a better name because we feel like now we have enough students that we should make it some sort of, um, you know, like Lindsay Mendez has like actor therapy. Oh, and yeah, stuff. yeah. And I love I love that name. I, love, I So we're trying to work on a better name. But um, yeah, it's DeAngelis and Dwyer coaching dot com. Uh, we have a Facebook page and we're always welcoming new students and Skype lessons. And um, we do a lot of master classes. We travel to uh, different places and we'll coach, you know, in a class setting for like three hours. And it's just really fun. And it's an interesting perspective to get from two people who are working right now and who have also struggled with not working for years at a time and 
you know, we've kind of both been through the gambit of what this career is. And we have an interesting perspective on what it is to, to be in this career, what it is to, to be passionate about it and, um, and to tell a story. And we have different teaching styles, which I also, also think is really important. Matt's much more in your face about things. <laughs> and he'll, he'll move you around and he'll like, you know, um, and, and I'll, I'll sit back and like give you one thing to think about for <laughs> this specific moment or I'll ask you a question and be like, don't answer it. Just think about that. Mm -hmm. And so I think having those two teaching styles is really great. You can get a lot out of a person in a few minutes if you just kind of get them out of their own head. And I think coaching and having that outside perspective is super important. It's, you know, it's like going to school and having teachers and other students watch your work and give you advice and stuff. So I think, uh, if, if anyone is interested, we have that business and, uh, I'm super proud of it and um, and really excited to see, you know, where it grows from here. It was just this small idea that now we've kind of turned into this little business for ourselves. So, yeah, I love that. And especially for a lot of people who listen to the podcast want to go into musical theater in college or are in college programs. So definitely take advantage of this and, you know, look it up because it would be a really great resource. Like, I wish I would have done something like that when I was in high school and, mm -hmm. you know, auditioning. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And in college, too. I mean, if it's more more people on your team and more people on your side is never it's never a bad thing. And I was we were going to try to I was so bummed that Finding Neverland ended up being over the summer. So nobody none of the students were there because I really wanted to do a master class. But I think, you know, I was talking to Diana and and uh, and everyone. And I think I'm going to try to do one after I'm done with Finding Neverland. That would be so fun. I would yes. love that. Yeah, it would be really fun. So so hopefully we'll be able to get something like that set up and, and people can kind of see our teaching style and see if it's something that they're interested in and, you know, pursuing further. So, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Super, super fun. Yeah. I love it. So I have just a couple more questions because I think I've waited long enough to talk about Alphaba because it's my ultimate dream role. So uh, I just okay. have like a couple kind of nerdy questions that yeah, I'd like to ask you. So my first question is, what do you do all day when you're Alphaba? Like, because I would imagine knowing myself, I would just want to lay in bed all day after doing that. So what, oh, what do you totally. do? Oh, totally. Um, well, you know, I did it. I, I did it for so long. I did. Um, and I was also lucky enough to come from the ensemble and understudy it and go on a couple of times and feel what that felt like. And then being the standby, going on more, and then doing vacations and see what that felt like. And then I took over. So I had a, a, a way to kind of gauge what it was going to be like. The first, the first, like, I don't know, I would say probably like seven months of doing that contract, I really didn't do much else other than <laughs> do the show and lay in bed and watch movies. And just, I was exhausted. But then I started, you know, kind of getting a little homesick and lonely on the road. And I wanted to go out more. And that's when I kind of started testing the limits of what I could do. And I, I kind of learned from doing that, that I could actually do a lot more during the day and at night than I thought I could. Because by that point, it was so in my body that I could figure out how to to give the same performance without hurting myself vocally and it's it's really with that role it's such a beast that you just you have to learn in that show when you can hold back because mm -hmm. because the just the progression of that character and the fact that once you get on stage you never leave and you're always in some sort of intense situation almost always that 
you have to find moments in that show where you can breathe and relax and not sing as hard and, and pull back on your voice and make it still, you know, musically make sense. And so I learned a lot of that on the road. And then once I got to the Broadway production, it was a little bit easier because I wasn't traveling around that much, you know, so I, I went to back to my same bed every night. And I felt like I had a life during the day where I could hang out with friends and do stuff and then go to the show. And I wasn't as exhausted as when I was traveling all the time. Things changed depending on where I was, um, which city I was in, some some cities I had a really hard time. If I remember, where was it? Oh, it was Syracuse, New York, where I just I had such a hard time. It was in the middle of winter. It was oh, so gosh. it was so cold, and that was a city where I just didn't do much other than hang out and sleep and exercise and do the job. And then there were other cities like Louisville, Kentucky. For some reason, I remember that city so vividly. I think maybe because it was humid or whatever, but I felt great that whole city. I was like, oh, I can go out, do stuff during the day and ex- go exploring with people. And I still don't feel tired at night. So it was like a, it was always kind of gauging where I was at in any given city or really on any given day. Um, and most of the time I could tell the day before, depending on how the show went, what I was going to be able to accomplish the next day. Okay. And, you know, and you do get used to it and it, it's a muscle just like anything else and, and my voice, you know, figured out where it needed to be. And I figured out the warm ups that I needed to do in order to know if I could if I could do the show or not. And I think sometimes for that show, it's such a mind game that you play with yourself every day because it is so huge. And it's a mind game that other people are playing, too, because, you know, you're always nervous that everything that you ever do is going to end up on YouTube and everything. Yeah. <laughs> like really, really mean about it and stuff. And some people are, but most people aren't. And you stop reading those things and you stop caring as much and I think the biggest thing for me, if I, as long as I could get myself to the theater, if I showed up to the theater, it was happening, regardless of how I felt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there were some times where I was so tired and I wondered if I should call out of matinee and I wasn't sure. And as long as I got myself to the theater and started warming up again, yeah, I mean, I was exhausted, but I could do it. Once I hit the stage and I didn't have time to think about anything else because you're on stage the whole time, I got through it. And there were moments in the show where, you know, I liked to to do higher riffs on certain parts. And then some days I would get to that moment in the song and I was like, I'm not going to do that today. I don't feel like it's going to be, I'm just going to sing the page and I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. do what happens. And, and you forget that most of the audience is seeing it for the first time. And most of the audience is so caught up with the fact that you're painted green and there's all these lights and moving parts and moving sceneries and things that yeah if you don't do that little riff that day or if like you're having you're you're singing a little bit lighter than you normally do you're fine (laughs) you know yeah everyone's still excited to see wicked because it's a you know phenomenon of a show that everybody's gonna love forever so um so yeah i mean i I was really careful with my voice and then sometimes I wasn't and I would see what what would happen the next day and I think I got myself to a point of really knowing what that role was for me and what I could do and what I couldn't do in order to do that job eight shows a week. And then also I didn't feel bad about calling out when I had to call out because everybody has to call out of that role. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's no one there's no one that's done that role that hasn't struggled at some point in their journey with it. Because it's so it's difficult. So you know, it was it was nice to kind of have a support group of other green girls who had done it before me that mm-hmm. I could text when I wasn't feeling great. And I've kind of become that that person for other people after me. And which you know, people did you reach out to when you were playing the role? When I was playing the role, well, I the first person that I understudied was Marcy Dodd. Okay. Um, 
And I only understudied her for a month before it was the end of her contract, which she was one of those people that I just had such respect for. She had done it on Broadway. She opened the second national tour. Her performance was incredible every night. She had this crazy voice, but didn't always like blow it out all the time so that she could be there. And I just really, really respected her as an actress. And so she was someone that actually, you know, was like, anytime you need any advice at all, reach out to me. And I definitely ended up reaching out to her. The second person I understudied was Vicky Noon, who I reached out to, and then Ann Brummel. And those those three girls were the ones that, you know, I kind of followed after in their footsteps. And they were always beneficial to me when I was feeling rough or you know, there was one time that I had to call out mid-show and it was in Baltimore and I felt terrible. You know, I woke up the next day and was super sick, but I, I did the matinee on sa- on this on the Saturday and I felt fine. And then I, I went to go do the show on Saturday night and I remember the first line that I said, I could tell that my voice wasn't going to come out. And I had, I mean, I was even warming up before the show and I was fine, but I literally spoke my first line and I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to make it through the show. But by that point, you still have to sing Wizard and I. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which well, is just like, I mean, it's, it's the first cool. song. That's Isn't that kind of cruel? It's so cruel. It's yeah. Hard. I hate it. But, um, but, you know, I had to get through it and it was rough. And I, I changed a lot of notes. And, I, and, you know, my MD was right there with me and trying to help me out. But there was really nothing I could do. I was standing center stage and I was I had to sing that song regardless. <laughs> and, you know, it, it came out and it was probably the worst I've ever felt in front of an audience. And then directly after that, you go into loathing. So I still had to do all of that. I had to go into the next scene. And it wasn't until I ran off right before Dancing Through Life that I could tell them that I was out. And they pretty much, you know, they knew because they knew my voice and they knew what I could what I was capable of and what it sounded like. And I called out that mid-show and I felt horrible and I was crying, you know, on the walk that I had to do home and everything. And I remember texting Vicky and Anne and Facebook messaging Marcy. And I was like, well, just had my first mid-show call out. And they literally all said the same thing. They were like, oh, congrats. Welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, right. Like everyone's had to do this. I mean, not, you know, probably not every person that's ever played it, but like pretty much, (laughs) you know. All of us have either had to call out mid-show or have had, you know, a week where we've gotten sick and we've had to call out multiple days in a row because you just can't do it. And they they were all like, dude, get yourself some Ben and Jerry's, go put on a movie <laughs> and relax because it's literally we've all been there. And as big of a deal as it feels like to you right now, it's not. And, you know, turns out it's not. It's really not that big of a deal. And these were also people that like I went on mid-show four before. Yeah. That you know, and and even in those moments, I was like, Oh, right. I mean, I didn't think it was a big deal when I had to go on mid show as the standby or as an understudy or whatever. So things happen. It's it's okay. You know, we're, we're only human. And we can only push our bodies so far until sometimes our body tells us you can't do this right now. (laughs) You got to go home. And, and, you know, um, that was a really important lesson to learn and also has, you know, helped me in every other show that I've ever done. It's just like, I can only give 100% of what I have today. And sometimes I'm giving 100% of 50% because that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. But I'm still giving 100% of what I have that day. And, you know, that's the only time I've had to call out mid-show, you know, knock on wood. But I still did the best I could, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, That's all you can expect of yourself. And I think that, 
taking on a role like that is going to be difficult. You have to know that it's going to be difficult. And you also have to first and foremost, take care of yourself and realize that no role is worth losing your voice over. No role is worth going on stage and feeling the pressure to have to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. It's always going to be different. And the best, the best thing you can do is take care of yourself and, and do what you need to do for you. It's like that, that thing that, you know, Ben Platt was talking about, about the stage door. Mm-hmm. He can only do so much, and his first priority is the show. And if that means he can't do the stage door, it he, it means he can't do the stage door. <laughs> and like, yeah. and that's the end of it. And you have to be confident enough in yourself to know what you need and and what you need for your mental health and your physical health in order to do a job like that. Definitely, yeah. And if one day I have the honor of playing Alphaba and I have to call out mid show, you're the first person I'm texting. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, Christine, it happened. And I'll be like, <laughs> And I'll, you know, I'll be like, yep, congratulations. Yep. Now what kind of ice cream are you getting? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then, okay, just one last question. Do you ever have those reoccurring alphabet dreams that people talk about? <laughs> I, I only had them. I never had them when I was playing the role. Okay. For some reason, I, I had them when I was understudying because especially when I was the second cover in the ensemble, because when I was a standby, I generally could tell when I was going to be on just based on like, you you know, this, you're, the standby and the person playing alphabet always kind of have a special relationship because if the alphabet can't do it, you're on. And I think it's at least the, the relationship that I always had with the people that I stood by for and the people that stood by for me is if I wasn't feeling well. I would let them know and they always kind of had a heads up for the most part unless I and you know unless some kind of crazy fluke thing happened. But when I was the understudy, it was like I was the last resort. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like if the alphabet couldn't do it and the standby couldn't do it, I was the only person in the building that could do it. And that that just having that in my head freaked me out. So I would have a lot of dreams when I was the understudy in the ensemble, just like a random night where I went out and I had a, I had a good time. And I was like, Oh, what if like, what if by some random fluke, I'm on tomorrow, and then I would have that reoccurring alphabet dream where, you know, I ran forward, and I didn't know any of my lines, or (laughs) I didn't have a voice or whatever. But once I was playing the role, even though the anxiety is high, I sort of took it as well, if I can't do it, there's two other people that can. So I'm okay if I have to call out <laughs> yeah. or if I'm not feeling well the next day, there's two other people in the building that can do it. So I took the pressure off of myself of, of being the last resort, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I didn't have those dreams anymore, but definitely when I was in the ensemble, because it was so rare that I went on anyways. And when I did, it was always like a crazy emergency situation. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So. So that definitely, definitely got to me. And especially because I had never, I mean, I was getting my equity card. I had never, it was my dream role and I never really thought that I would do it. And then to have that whole half hour taken up by being painted green and just watching yourself get transformed into this character in the mirror, it's freaky the first couple of times, (laughs) you know, because a lot of other shows, you have that half hour to kind of relax, stretch, warm up, do whatever you need to do. And with Alphabet, it's like you're sitting in a chair until right before the show starts. Yeah. And then you have a few minutes before you're doing this beast of a three hour show. So it's, it's freaky when you, when you don't have your stamina up yet, or when you haven't done it a bunch of times in a row or whatever, that definitely made me super anxious. But once I kind of got over that part and, you know, kind of realized that, the anxiety was was only hurting me. It wasn't helping me. Mm-hmm. I, I overcame a lot of that and, you know, started started getting over the fact that 
at the end of the day, it's just a musical. It's just a play. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, oh no, if I cut this person open wrong, they'll die. Like That's true. Know? That is so true. I need to remember that. I'm going to remember that. The next time I sing something, I'm going to be like, okay, it's literally a musical. <laughs> it's a musical. It's a song. It's, it's words and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it should be, it should be fun and it's going to be stressful because not everybody else has to do their job in front of thousands of people, you know, but mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's just a musical, you know, you're telling a story. It's not, it's not that deep. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> cool. Well, that is all the questions I have for you today, but thank awesome. you so much for taking the time to sit down and do this. Oh, of course. No, this was, this was so fun. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of On My Way to a BFA. If you'd like to connect with me, you can follow me on Twitter at Natalie underscore Nowak. Also, make sure you're following Broadway Radio for updates and feel free to tweet me with any feedback or questions. Thanks.